Well, one of, um, you know, kind of the, uh, what God's been directing us as a church leadership here is just to, to sow into building a life of prayer and, and sowing in prayer and things like that. So we're not only trying to implement it more in what we already do, but, but teaching on it. And, uh, you know, I actually, outside of, um, I get prophetic training, which is prayer because you're listening to God. I've never heard many churches that I was a part of teach on prayer and kind of more of a, you know, a fuller spectrum of what that is. And so I want to, let's turn to Matthew chapter six, verses five through nine. We'll read this together. Matthew chapter six, verses five through nine. All right, so growing up, what did y'all, what did you think of prayer, right? Just yell it out. That's not a rhetorical question. What did, what did you think of prayer? I said, let's, you need to pray more. <laughs> what, what, did you, what did you think? What? Boring. Yeah. What else? What did, what did you think when, it was like, we need to pray. You heard somebody say that. Say, pray what? What are we praying? Talking to the Lord. Praying in the Spirit. Praying in tongues. That's one way. It's It's the same prayer. It's over and over and over again. You go to confession and study it. Tell you the same. Ten Hail Marys. You know. Just repetition. Yeah. So, yeah. And in some traditions, it's repetitious. You're just saying it. You're getting in reps. You're getting the numbers in <laughs> to convince God. You know what I'm saying? Right. Anybody else? Useless. Useless. Why, why did it seem useless? Right? Didn't get you what you wanted. That's right. That's right. Anybody else? You know, for me, it wasn't, I just, I felt like God was really far away. So it was like, I remember I felt like my prayers were like, you know, the, in Forrest Gump where the feather floats, I felt like that was my prayer up to heaven. It was like, it was going about this speed and I was like, God, I don't know if it's ever going to get there. He's pretty far away. He's like in the cosmos, you know, and so. We, always, we, we have these kind of preconceived ideas about prayer and some of it's based on what we were taught. Some of it's based on how we see God. And so the disciples asked, I love the disciples because a lot of them were just so honest. So like in John 14, Jesus is saying, when you ask about the Father, you have now seen him and know him. Basically saying, I represent, I am the exact representation of the Father. And then Philip says, Jesus, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And, then, and Jesus says, Philip, have I been with you so long that you haven't known me and that you've seen the Father? And he's like, 
The Father abiding in me does his works in me. You know, and then you have John and James who are literally arguing over who's going to like, you know, we're going to, no, we're going to be seated at the right hand of Jesus at his kingdom. Like we're, and you know, they're, they're jostling back and forth with the other disciples about who's going to be first, right? And the thing about God, and, and you'll hear, this has been the theme about prayer since we've been talking about it, and, is that they were honest. They were honest. And I remember, I just feel like God works with honesty. And he says he does. And so I know he does. And, you know, when the Lord, he had a major word over my life was, Travis, I want you to be my Delta Force soldier. And I was like, yeah, let's let's do this. And y'all may have heard this, but. And then he said, are you okay with not being seen? And I, so this is like around 2004. And in my mind, Delta Force soldier, you know, you're you're in in the spirit world, guns blazing, taking down the enemy. And then he's like, are you okay with not being seen? Are you okay with being hidden? And I was like, uh, not, I said, not really. <laughs> I kind of want to be seen a little bit, you know, and that was, that was my heart at the time, you know? And, um, and so it's just been like these things where God, if we're honest with God, he can really move in our heart. And there's, a fine line between honesty and then uh, being bitter at God as well. Because you can, you can sit and accuse God and you have to know, you have to recognize, you have to come with honesty with the recognition of, I don't know very much. I don't, in fact, I don't know hardly anything. I don't even know myself. How many of y'all say you've mastered yourself? Raise your hand. So, like, we don't even know ourselves, right? And then we think we know God, and like, anyways, it's 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 really kind of foolish when you think about it. All right, so Matthew chapter six, verses five through nine. Jesus tells them he's given them instructions on prayer. He says, "When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners." so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. All right? So, the first thing Jesus says is when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Stop there. So what is a hypocrite? So you go to Webster's Dictionary and it defines hypocrite as one who assumes a false appearance, one who feigns to be what he is not or to feel or believe what he does not actually feel or believe, especially a false pretender to virtue or piety. 
Then you have Strong's definition, the, the Greek definition of this word means to be an actor under an assumed character. So uh, a hypocrite is an actor. So in other words, a hypocrite is someone acting out of a false identity. Okay? Whether you're, if you go, you know, say you're, you're one way with this group of people and then you're one way with this group of people, you're being a hypocrite. And so when I was in college, I had a, um, a good friend who was roommates with a Muslim. And uh, we were talking about religion and I just, and I did say at the time, now when I was in college, I, did, I wasn't living surrendered to the Lord. But she said, and I was telling her, I said, there's only one way to heaven and that's through Jesus. You know, I, I knew that much. And she said, well, how, she, my friend said, yeah, Travis, but she does everything that Islam asks of her. She's celibate. She doesn't drink. And you're not celibate and you're drinking. And the, and the Bible says to not do either of those or at least not get drunk. And I stood there and was like, you're right. I mean, now I didn't say that out loud, but in my mind, I was like, I'm a hypocrite. Because I was over here, I was saying one thing, I was doing another. All right? And so, I was, I was acting. I was acting and identifying as a Christian, even though I wasn't really living as a Christian. And so, when we, when we operate out false identities, and we can, we can even come before God in that way, then he's, Jesus is saying, don't, just don't do that. Just be honest. Be who you are. Come to me as you are. If you've got a lot of anxious thoughts, that's fine. Come that way to me. You don't have to have it all together to come before the Lord. Why would we need the Lord if we had it all together anyways? So he is not like, he doesn't have like all these illusions about us like, wait, Travis is having a problem? What? You know, he did, nothing is surprising him, but sometimes... That, the kind of, that kind of stuff can creep into our life where we're like, let me, uh, let me kind of fix this. Then I'll talk to God about it. Or let at least let me get a little bit better organized and maybe I'll talk to God about it. So then Jesus said the, the hypocrites, have their, they have their reward in full, which is a little, which is a little scary. To me, at least. And so what is the reward of a hypocrite? One is self-congratulatory behavior, which is temporary. You get pats on the backs of others, which is temporary. And anything that's birthed of the flesh, birthed out of your striving, birthed out of your need for attention or praise or glory. Um, so anything birthed out of the flesh, by default, you have to receive the glory for that. There's no other way. Like, I don't know if that makes sense or not, but like, if I'm doing something, even if I'm, if I'm ministering, and I say I'm ministering in front of 5,000 people, but I'm ministering because I like to be seen, 
And I'm not ministering because I love God and I want to see people get free. I'm ministering because I want to make a name for myself. Then by default, I've got to receive the glory when the glory comes my way. Now, now, now I'm not saying that every time somebody compliments you, he's like, oh, no, brother, it's, it's Jesus in me. You don't have to do that. Just thank people if they say, hey, good, good job. You know, just be like, thank you, man. But what I'm saying is, is that you know it doesn't pull on you the same way if somebody criticizes you, it's not going to pull on you either. So when you're free from the praise of man, you're also free from the criticism of man. Now, it doesn't mean we stop encouraging each other. It's like, Chris, you should be free from any praise. That's why I'm not encouraging you. You know, it, it's, that's not what I'm talking about. We need to encourage each other. I think you'll, you'll get, the, get the picture. So what are the rewards of God? They're eternal rewards. 1 Corinthians 15.41 says we're all going to shine like stars and that we differ in glory. And so we're, we're, all gonna, we're all not getting the same rewards. So when Paul talks about at the judgment seat that we'll be rewarded according to what we have done, he's not talking about salvation. He's talking about faithfulness. So Jesus tells the, the talent, the, the parable of the talents, right? One guy had 10 talents. One guy had five talents. The other guy had one talent. The guy with ten and five, the guys with ten and five talents invested, and they were faithful with what they were given. And the guy with one talent was scared and he hid it. And so, it doesn't matter the number of talents you have. What God is looking for when when we're standing before the judgment seat of Christ, it's not whether we're going to heaven or hell. He's dishing out rewards based on faithfulness. And it's not going to be compared. Like my, I'm not going to be standing next to uh, Chris and being compared to him because we're going to have different measurings that only the Lord knows what, what that is. But I'm going to be standing before the Lord and he's, and he's going to say, you know, you were faithful with these things. Here, here's your rewards. And there is different glory based on, on that because not everybody... Um, has been faithful with what they've been given, even though they might go to heaven, they might be saved. I know just, that's like a theological thing you could keep talking about. Um, but then Jesus does the pray in secret. He says, pray then in this way. Where am I? All right, let's get to it. Yeah. But when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So does that mean the only time we can pray is when nobody sees us? No. Jesus sometimes uses hyperbole to make, to make a point. We pray to the God who sees what is done in secret. So there's nothing to hide from God because he sees it all anyways. Again, God wants us to come to him with honest hearts, but he says, go and pray in secret. Pray as if you're in secret. So we pray together, right, as a church. God loves that. He's not saying, what are you doing? You're not in your closet. But what he's saying is that the motive of your heart, is it, is it for the Lord or is it for men? 
even in prayer, and, and, and there's there are times where you people are, are doing ministry like we've. I mean, I, I won't go into these stories, but I've seen it where you you can feel like something might be a little off, and that the person's is doing it to be seen. It's very it's, that's been rare that I've seen that happen, but sometimes you can see that. He says, don't be like the Gentiles. So what does Jesus mean when he says that? He says, don't be like those who don't know me. Meaningless repetition. And so, like uh, Cindy was saying earlier, sometimes we think if we pray enough, if we kind of, if we're like, you know what, if I get enough, if I get the reps in and I say it long, long enough and I say it enough, God will hear me and I'll convince him. I'll be able to like convince him. And we've told this parable of the widow going before the unrighteous judge where she does that. She, she's like, <laughs> he's like, this woman's going to wear me out. I'm going to answer her prayer. But, what, but God's saying, you don't have to do that. I'm a good judge and you're not a widow. You're a bride. And, and like, you don't have to do that. You don't have to beat me up. The point is, she still, even though she was using repetition and wearing that guy down, getting the reps in, getting the numbers in, she got the, the prayer answered. But what I'm, Jesus, this point is like, I'm not, you don't have to do that. Come over here and rest. Listen to me. Pray with me because Jesus is praying for us. We don't have to make stuff up. We can be like, Jesus, what do you want in my life right now? What are you saying in my life? And we listen to him and we come into agreement with him. If we truly are under the leadership of Jesus, that is what we're submitting to is, what do you want in my life right now? What are you saying about this? What do you want me to know about this? What do you want me to do about this? Those are the, we come to the Lord with questions and we let him fill in the gaps. And so even when he's talking about meaningless repetition, and so you think about the prophets of Baal when they were cutting themselves and they had the showdown with Elijah and they're cutting themselves and he says all day and they're praying. I imagine that was a lot of meaningless repetition. Like, oh, Baal, come with fire, come with fire. Oh, Baal, come with fire, come with fire. Oh, Baal, come with fire, come with fire. And Elijah's over there. He's like, I don't, listen, maybe he's asleep. Maybe Baal's asleep. He literally said that. He says, yell louder. And then what did Elijah do? Did Elijah say, oh God, come with fire. Oh God, come with fire. Oh God, come with fire. No, he said, God, answer and show them that you're the one who answers by fire. Bam. So we don't need to use meaningless repetition. And Jesus said, your father knows what you need before you ask him. So when I, when I think about this, I'm, I see God or, or Jesus painting a picture of prayer being, it's like one-fourth talking, three-fourths listening. He's saying, no repetition. So you don't have to say it over and over. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Father, what, what do I need? What are you saying? And so, and Jesus is, he's painting that picture 
of really resting in prayer and listening a lot. So our, our Father, Jesus said, pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven. So first of all, he's saying this is our Father who is in heaven. He's not of this earth. He's not of this world. He's, he operates differently from the ways of the world. He's, he's the God that is un, he's, uh, as un, unimpressed as not the world, right word. But like the ministry of a million people and the ministry of 10 people is, makes no difference to him because he's currently expanding the universe at the speed of light. So he, all ministry is like small to the Lord. <laughs> so he's the, he's the one that leaves the 99 for the one. So he's not of this world. He doesn't think the way we do. He doesn't see success in exactly the same way. He wants us to be fruitful. He wants us to multiply, but he doesn't see success. You know, there's the story of Billy Graham and uh, there was a famous evangelist that Billy Graham's father had invited to, to their church for a revival meetings. And so he, this evangelist, and the evangelist's name is slipping my mind, but he, uh, they came and people were, you know, people were coming and, and they were getting saved, you know, like 40 one night, 50 one night, 70 one night. And then one night, only one person got saved. And the evangelist went to his team. He said, we need to leave this town. We got to, or we got to change something because we only had one person saved last night. Well, guess who that one person was? It was Billy Graham. And so that one person who ended up leading millions of people to the Lord. And so you just don't know. You do not know who you're impacting. You do not know what looks like something small could be something really big. You just don't know. But it's not our job to know. It's our job just to be faithful, like right where we're at with what we've been given. And that's it. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. And so he's not of this age. He's not of this world. And this present earth is not our home. So when we pray to our Father who is in heaven, it's to remind us, this isn't our home. This is not our home. And when you realize that this isn't your home, you're able to persevere. It gives you endurance. It gives you the ability to hang on, realizing that this is a very short life. We, our lives are like flowers in the field that fade, right? We're, we're like vapors. This life is going to be Think about 80 to 90 years in the scope of eternity. It's the tiniest of pin drops on that continuum. And that's all that we have to endure for in the rest of our lives as Christians. We're living in the bliss of the presence of God and his, and his kingdom. God is not our heavenly father. So we also need to realize that God, we actually 
come to the to God with an accurate biblical view of who he says he is. So you go to Exodus 33, he says, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, that his mercies are new every morning, that he is He's like a father. It not only says that in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament as well. God is described as a father. Deuteronomy 1, it says he carried Israel in the desert like a father carries his son. So if we think that he's the big cop in the sky or he's weight or he's distant or he's weak, all these types of things, then we have a, a wrong view of who God is. And we need if we read the scriptures and are like, God, I don't know you in that way, then we ask him to reveal himself to us. It's the invitation to discover him in that way. And our earthly fathers may have been really good. Some of y'all may have had bad fathers. But you have a father in heaven who's not like any of them. He's perfect. He's good. He's faithful. He always does the right thing. He's always there for us. He never lets us down. I let I let my kids down. You know, there's you know there's times where, you know, even like the little simple things. Some, I get up early in the morning. And Zuri likes to get in the bed with Jessica. When I when I leave, she when I vacate my space, and she's like, Dad, will you? Uh, you wake me up at five when you get up and so I can go get in bed with mom. I was like, yeah. I forget like 50% of the time. You know, so just even like the little things or, or bigger or things that are bigger than that. I just, I'm going to let my kids down. It's just because I'm not, I'm not God. But we have, but God is, he's faithful. And so it says, it also says it's not my father, but our father. We have brothers and sisters that God wants us to consider in the way that we live our lives and the way that we pray as well. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Don't just pray for yourself, pray for others. I also, I believe that when you pray for somebody else, that you're gonna receive the same blessing that you're praying for them. That's just how, that's, I believe that. I don't necessarily have like a verse of scripture to back that up, that's just my opinion. But I think that, because you're laying down your life in prayer for somebody else, that the Lord will bless you. And then he says, hallowed be your name. What does hallowed mean? It's kind of an old, old word for holy, really. But it means to be revered, respected, and feared. We're to live as the life as if Jesus is currently the king of the universe, no matter what government leader or king, quote, king is currently ruling. So we know Jesus is the, the king of the universe, that he's sovereign, right? He's sovereign in all the world affairs that are going on right now. So when I say he's currently not king of the universe, what I mean is he's not currently sitting on the throne in Jerusalem as a man, <laughs> as, a, as the God man. That's what I mean. So when Jesus returns and his kingdom comes with him, his name will be honored among men again and they will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. Psalm 40 verse 3. The Bible says that the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the water covers the sea. That there is not going to be any eye that will not behold the glory of God when, when Jesus returns. Everybody's going to see him, believing or unbelieving. 
when people, when you see Jesus, imagine, imagine what, what John saw in Revelation 1 or what he saw in Revelation 19 where he says, I saw heaven open and there before me, he who sat on a white horse and on his head with many crowns, he's dressed in a robe, dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, dressed in fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword with which to strike the nations down. So imagine he's seeing Jesus on the white horse, dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, king of kings on his thigh and on his robe, an army following him, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And you have Revelation 1 where he sees him with white hair, eyes of fire, golden sash, feet burnished like bronze and like light coming off of him. I mean, John's falls like a dead man before him. So imagine every, what would be your response when you see him? Are, you, are we going to have our hands in our pockets and be like, not impressed? No, we're going to, every, every single person is going to fall to their knees. And it says that those who don't know him are actually going to cry out in, in fear and in awe. It says that they're going to actually run to the caves and try to hide themselves from God, from Jesus. Every, anyone. But for those that know it, we're going we're to see and we're going to rejoice when he returns. We're actually going to be, that's the moment when he returns is that we'll be taken up with him and then descend with him. Another lesson from another time. Anyways, I always seem to be throwing those things in here lately. Um, so they will see and fear and trust in the Lord. So I just want to recap. There's some keys to prayer. Number one is honesty with God. Honesty is the opposite of hypocrisy. Honesty is the opposite of hypocrisy. There's many warnings. It actually says hypocrisy is like demonic wisdom in James. It says, you don't, it says wisdom that's demonic is this, you know, full of hypocrisy or dissension, strife. And, uh, and then it goes on to say godly wisdom is without hypocrisy. Uh, so not necessarily saying demonic wisdom is this, but it is painting a picture of a band like that. Second, you want to know God as Father. You don't want to know him as the cop. You don't want to know him as the absent father. Don't want to know him as the angry father. You want to know him as slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, strong, that he will execute justice and righteousness. He doesn't leave the wicked unpunished, but he blesses the, the righteous up to a thousand generations. And then third, we want to revere him and submit to his leadership in your life. And so if your heart is not submitted to his leadership, it's going to be hard to ask the question, what do you want? What are you doing in my life right now? How can I come into agreement with it? Because that, you know, that's not, may not be necessarily what you want, right? 
So having a heart that's submitted to God is, is another key in prayer. And more than likely, if your heart isn't in that place, you don't really want to come to him anyways. Because you got your own ideas. Why, why would you need to consult him? So what I want us to do is, uh, I want us to pray into these things. I want us to ask God for grace to be honest with him. I want us to ask God to, to reveal himself to us as father and for grace to revere and submit to his leadership. So we're gonna just pray for about 10 minutes in like small groups. And uh, so let's and, and just pray into these three things. And so let's go ahead and break up. Let's do, let's do, uh, we'll do one group over here, one group right here. Frank, you can join. So we'll do just kind of two bigger groups and uh, break up and pray into these three things right here.